Hi everyone, I'm Michael Calori. I'm an editor here at Wired, and you're listening to The Gadget Lab, the podcast where we talk about the latest gadgets, apps, and services that you need to know about and how they impact our lives. I'm joined this week by my co-host, Wired senior writer, Arielle Pardes. Hello! Lauren Good is on the road this week. She is up at Amazon reporting on all the new products that the company is putting out, and we'll talk about those in just a little bit. And later on the show, we're going to talk to our colleague, Matt Simon, a writer on the Science Desk, about something that is equal parts fascinating and terrifying. That would be Spot, the robot dog. You may be familiar with Spot's creator, Boston Dynamics, which has been posting videos of the four-legged automaton on YouTube for years. But now the company is making the robot available to companies that want to lease it and put it to work. How exactly Spot gets deployed in the real world is sure to tell us a lot about how robots will operate alongside humans in the future. Matt recently paid a visit to Boston Dynamics and got some playtime with Spot, so he'll be joining us to tell us all about it. And first, we have some news in the world of consumer products because tech's silly season continues in full swing. We talked about Apple recently, and this week we are going to talk about Amazon. The company unleashed a flood of new products this week at a media event up in Seattle. There were, of course, new Alexa devices like a new Echo, a new Echo Dot with a little clock in it, and a larger Echo Studio, which looks just like a HomePod and puts out higher quality audio. Something else that's exciting is the new Echo Buds, which are noise-isolating earbuds that you can tap to summon Alexa. But the big news this week was the announcement of some Alexa wearables. The Echo Frames are smart glasses that let you talk to Alexa without pulling out your phone. So you can ask questions, get notifications right from the glasses frames on your face. These glasses don't have a camera, which is pretty critical, and they also don't have a display, so they're not like Google Glass. They are entirely voice-powered, and if you don't usually wear glasses or you don't want to put Alexa on your head, you can put Alexa on your finger. The Echo Loop is a smart ring, also announced this week. You slip it on and talk to Alexa by speaking into your hand, which I'm sure does not look weird at all. Uh, Both of these devices go on sale in very limited quantities. Um, They're looking for early adopters to test these things out. Ariel, you have done a lot of reporting on fashion and wearables. What do you think of the glasses? Slay or nay? Can I be candid? Yes. Ugly as hell. (laughs) Come on. I mean, this is sort of the recurring problem for people who are making smart glasses of any kind, whether they're supposed to be AR glasses or something that augments your vision or something that has a display or something like this that's just, you know, a voice assistant on your head. Um, It's very difficult to pack all of that tech into something that is lightweight and stylish and ergonomic. And Amazon, in my opinion, has not cracked that. Um, No one really has. But design aside, like who really needs to be talking to Alexa through their glasses? (laughs) Well, uh, I mean, you can understand why Amazon wants to do it because they don't have a phone. Like they don't sell a device that you carry with you everywhere. And that's where the other big smart home companies have a lead, right? Like Google knows everything about you because you carry your phone around with you everywhere and it collects all this information about you that then informs its ambient computing platform. Mm -hmm. So 
Amazon's ambient computing platform pretty much only exists in the Alexa devices and in your browser. So if they can get you to take Alexa with you other places, then they can create a more complete picture of you and then they can do more things for you with all your smart devices. Right. So that explains why Amazon wants to make this. <laughs> but why would a consumer want to talk to Alexa on their face? I think there are a lot of people who are going to be like, cool, and then they're going to go out and buy it. Oh, I look forward to hearing all about those people. I think they're going to sell scads of the earbuds, actually. Yeah, I also think that the the smart ring, while ridiculous, will sell to a certain type of person. Yes, a person with very large hands. That's right. And I am very happy for them. <laughs> well, I can't wait to uh, see what the reviews of these things look like. I'm sure we'll be playing with them in the office in, in the weeks and months to come. So more on that later. Mm. Um, in the meantime, Mike... Uh, you're not into vaping, are you? All the time. Oh, well, I have some bad news. Uh-oh. What is it? Well, you've probably heard the rumors that vaping is not good for you. There was some research published earlier this year that found that e-cigarettes can have profound negative effects on your cardiovascular health and your lung health. There have also been several hospitalizations and even deaths linked to e-cigarette use in, in the past year. Now, the FDA is officially saying that e-cigarettes are not safe. That comes from Ned Sharpless, the acting commissioner of the FDA, who appeared at a congressional hearing on Wednesday to talk about how the agency is planning to regulate the use of e-cigarettes. Now, the FDA hasn't taken any actions yet but it did make clear that it intends to craft some policies that could, in their more extreme form, remove e-cigarettes from the market entirely. Now, before you get all, don't tread on me, relax, nothing has actually happened yet, um, but something is definitely heating up. Some major retailers like Walmart are no longer selling vaping products, and the FDA has also started to investigate some of the marketing claims from companies like Juul, Jewel's one of the major e-cigarette makers, which has claimed that its products are safer than cigarettes and has built a marketing strategy almost entirely around advertising to teens. So it seems like the reign of the e-cigarette is coming to a close, um, but just how far the FDA will go to regulate it still remains to be seen. I mean, a straight ban isn't going to be very good for the public health, will it? Yeah. And... I, I think you could also argue that there are a lot of things that the FDA doesn't straight up ban that are bad for public health. And that's because we give consumers information and then we allow them to make the choices that they want to make. Yeah. But, you know, I think there are a lot of like nicotine addicts out there who are just going to go back to smoking cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. And when e-cigarettes first became really popular, it was mostly because of this idea that they were an alternative to cigarettes that didn't necessarily involve uh, all of the toxic elements of smoking. And so you could, you know, have your vape pen and your <laughs> vape juice. And yeah. <laughs> maybe it's minty and doesn't smell like tobacco and you look cool. Well, have you seen the, the DIY vaping people? Have you seen that world at all? Oh, God, no. So people build their own, like, vape cannons, really. I mean, they're like what you normally think of as like a vaporizer, like a, a, th a thin sort of slim, beautiful pen, like a jewel. It looks more like a USB stick. These are things that are like about the size of like a, a grip on a bicycle handlebar. Whoa. And there are these big batteries and then they custom mix their own juices or they buy them at, at vape shops. And then they they smoke or vape out of those instead of like the store-bought ones that you get at the 7-Eleven. So I imagine that if they ban 
vaping products, you know, they're probably not going to be able to ban all of the uh, materials that these people buy on like the DIY vaping websites and at, and at DIY vape shops to build their own vapes. So you'll still be able to vape even after vaping is banned, I think. Uh, this is dystopic. Yeah. But, you know, like you were saying, it's all about choice. Well, speaking of dystopia, uh, <laughs> let's bring Matt onto the show. Matt loves to report on all things catastrophic. And uh, today I think we'll get into some of those. Matt Simon is a staff writer at Wired covering the climate, the science of psychoactive chemicals, and all things robots. Today we're going to talk to Matt about robots and maybe a little bit about the climate, but we'll start with the robots. Matt Simon, welcome back to the show. And thank you for having me. I like that new intro with a psychoactive bit to it. Yeah, we'll have to leave our, our listeners hanging a bit as, in terms of what that means. Um, we're here today, obviously, to talk about uh, your recent visit to Boston Dynamics and the newest version of Spot, which is their four-legged robot that climbs around and does all sorts of scary things. Um, the news here, of course, is that Spot is being made available for commercial applications for the very first time. Um, but this isn't the first time that most people have seen Spot. It's become a sort of YouTube phenomenon. Um, so let's maybe start with, with the robot itself. Like, what is Spot? What is Spot? Spot is a quadruped, um, much like a horse, a cow, a human walking on all four limbs, if that's what you're into. Um, but it's a, a robot that really kind of eerily mimics the way that a, a four-legged animal, like a, a dog that it's modeled after, uh, walks. Uh, you can push it around. It, it regains its balance. It regains its footing. Um, it's it's kind of eerie in that way. You probably saw on the internet. Uh, there was a video where it was opening a door with this attachment on its head. With like It's like a head arm or arm head. Grabs the door, opens it for its friend. It lets its friend through. Um, there's another one where it fights off a human with a, a hockey stick. The human has the hockey stick, not the robot has a <laughs> hockey stick. We don't want to get into that territory. Um, but so Boston Dynamics, it, it, it's kind of weird here. They have been in business for 25 years as largely kind of this far out R&D robotics shop. They haven't had a commercial product until now which is great, it's 25 years of, of not making money selling robots. Um, but I was able to go out to Boston last week to see Spot in action, uh, to gear up for their announcement that Spot is now available, not for sale, but for lease. You can lease it uh, for about the price of a car. They're not saying exactly how much money, but depending on options, how many you order, how long you want the lease to be for. Um, but they're also being very selective about who is allowed to lease it. They want specific people that aren't you and I uh, <laughs> to just make funny videos about it. Uh, mm -hmm. They're trying to explore what exactly this robot is good for, and that's still very much an outstanding question because what do you do with a four-legged robot that can open doors and fight off people who are wielding <laughs> hockey sticks? Uh, it, it's, uh, it's to be seen. So this is very much an exploratory early adopter program for them. So what are the offices like? Uh, are there robots everywhere? Is it eerily like a science fiction movie? It, it, that's a good question. I haven't seen it because where they did the demo was in a brand new building that they're actually under construction huh. uh, with. So um, that's gonna be their new offices, their big R&D lab center. Uh, what the other ones, the current ones look like, I don't know because they don't let anybody <laughs> into it. Right. Uh, we've been trying for quite some time. But yeah, you can imagine, uh, you know, they did at least tell me that there are places where they put these things through, through 
uh, stress test, like you would with any sort of, of gadget, of course, much more complicated moving parts with this one. Um, but I can only imagine what that real lab is like. But this place is cavernous. It's going to be mm. a, a giant lab. And did you get to drive the robot around the uh, the, the site, the construction site? I did. It was so the the controller is a lot like a, an Xbox or, or PlayStation controller. You got two joysticks, one with each thumb. Uh, there's a screen on the middle. You can joystick it around with the uh, joysticks, obviously. But on the screen, there's a, a video feed of what the robot is seeing out the front of its head. It actually, has five pairs of stereo cameras situated around robot but you're actually looking out uh, from its perspective and weirdly like on google maps you know you can be in street view and click ahead and it'll kind of transport you with this system on that screen you tap and the robot will go to that place hmm. in space it's cool it's kind of a, a different way to control it than you would expect but um the idea is for something like construction company to have one of these machines they want it to run a specific route to inspect things you would first joystick it around that route it would build a map in its head a 3d map and then as it goes back through that environment again and again it can actually navigate on its own but also look for changes which is important on something like a construction site if you want to check up on progress so that's one of the use cases but again this is such early days that they really aren't fully sure what this will be good for. Do do you have any sense of what something like this might be useful for in the future? Yeah, so it's difficult in these very early days of sophisticated robots because like with biological species with different animals, you have different morphologies for different niches. So like a bee can fly. We can't fly because we don't have wings. Uh, we walk on two legs, but a, a dog walks on four legs. That suits us for different purposes and in different environments. So something like Spot would be overkill if you had, say, a grocery store that you wanted a robot to go around scanning items and doing inventory. It's a flat surface. Uh, first of all, you wouldn't want it terrifying <laughs> the customers. <laughs> that's actually, that's kind of badass. <laughs> yeah. It would be, I mean, it would take some getting used to, which is a whole other field of research, human-robot interaction, how you get these things out in the wild without freaking people out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so something like Spot is going to be very good in an environment that humans might navigate. So going upstairs, it's great at, without falling over and tumbling down the stairs and breaking itself. Um, but you know, it stops at ladders. It can't go up ladders. One day, we'll have humanoid robots that can do that sort of thing. So something like Spot's going to be good for, in particular, hazardous situations. So on a construction site where there's maybe they're um, cleaning up asbestos or something like that or decommissioning nuclear sites or this is a, a classic refrain in, in robotics is if you don't know what your robot is good for you, you say it's good for disaster relief like rescue situations, which Spot might actually be good with. It can actually clamor over these different uh, environments if need be. So yeah, it's an early adopter program and people are actually going to tell Boston Dynamics this is what we're finding it's good for. And, and in the vetting process, Boston Dynamics is being very deliberate with these customers about this is what the robot's going to be good for. What you've seen on YouTube maybe isn't a fully accurate representation of what this is good for in, in the real world. Um, but it's it, it's kind of so early in these early days of robotics that it's, it's kind of a difficult path to find. One of the things that you wrote about in your story um, about your visit to Boston Dynamics is that there's the possibility that Spot is going to be used for entertainment purposes in a Cirque du Soleil performance. Tell yeah. us tell us more about that. Yeah, they didn't give me much more information other than, oh, hey, by the way, Cirque du Soleil is experimenting <laughs> with Spot the robot, uh, which makes a good amount of sense given how many views those Spot videos get uh, on YouTube. 
And again, like, nobody has any idea what these robots are good for, spot or, or otherwise. Um, it's very difficult to divine, you know, who's going to want to spend the same that it's been on leasing a car on a machine that might not be able to do what they're wanting to do. So Boston Dynamics was talking about use cases where they've been talking to people that want a robot to look in on like a specific gauge in this part of the the room and then go to a different room and look at another gauge. And Boston Dynamics was like, why don't you just get Nest Cams and train them on these gauges? And the the client was like, oh, okay, that makes maybe more sense. <laughs> so I, that's, I mean, part of the danger with Boston Dynamics has been, and I've gotten a lot of criticism for this, is that they might be overblowing the capabilities of these robots. Uh, you probably saw the Atlas video this week. It's doing gymnastics, which is cool. But, uh, you know, we had uh, the head of Boston Dynamics at, at the Wired 25 celebration last year, and, and he got up on stage and was, was very blunt about, yeah, those videos take a lot of takes. Those are, those are the very best behaviors that we can get out of those robots. So when they're starting to commercialize these things, they need to be able to say to clients, this is what it's going to do, this is what it's not going to do. Cirque du Soleil might be a little more loosey-goosey because they can have it do fun waltzing around, falling over, getting back up. It does this cool thing if you turtle it, if you flip it on its back and it's like kind of stuck and flailing its legs. It'll twist its legs around and actually be able to right itself um, and get back up on four feet, which is pretty cool. Mm. Um, so perhaps one day come into a Cirque du Soleil show near you. Let's take a quick break and then come back with some more from Matt Simon. So, Matt, why did they have to make the thing look so much like a dog? Great question. And, and a much larger question in robotics. So there's this idea that it took evolution many millions of years to evolve something like uh, locomotion on four legs. But it works really well uh, because evolution goes for the most parsimonious solution to a problem. Um, it's extremely energy efficient. So if you know if Spot had two legs, it would have to do like we do, which is constantly balanced. Like when you're standing up straight, um, you don't really feel it, but you're actually constantly correcting for your body swaying back and forth so you don't fall on your face. Depends on how drunk I am. Depends on how, or on the psychoactives, <laughs> as the kids say. <laughs> uh, so uh, by making a robot four-legged, you get rid of a lot of the, the bullcrap, quite honestly, of, of having a balance on two legs, which Atlas from Boston Dynamics does very well. But it's actually very energy efficient. It can get something like 90 minutes of, of walking time. If it wants to stop, it stops and kind of sits there, locks its legs, and doesn't have to expend energy on on balancing. Um, but those four legs also get you great traction. So when I was piloting this thing, it's terrifying, not because you think the robot's going to come and eat you or something, but because you're afraid you're going to crash a very, very expensive robot. But it has all these cool systems where if you drive it toward a wall, it'll stop automatically. Um, and when you're driving it through dirt and stuff, I had it trip over a pipe that was sitting on the ground, but it does this weird thing where it stumbles and, and cracks itself like a, a human would. It's, it's pretty eerie. But, you know, those four legs are able to ground it better in that 3D space that it has to navigate. So you're controlling Spot with a joystick. Can this also be programmed to walk around autonomously or, uh, yeah, wander on its own? Yeah. So the idea would be you first, you get the robot out of the box, um, 
they actually made it very clear. It's not like Amazon. You can't go on Amazon and order a, a spot robot because <laughs> there's a, then an onboarding process where Boston Dynamics comes in and teaches you how to use it and how it fits into your specific use case. But you would, first of all, joystick it around a path. So you want it to go through a construction site, go this way, and you just kind of follow it and do that. But it builds a map in its head as it does that. And then from then on, you can send it on that path and it will localize itself in the environment by seeing what's around it. But, you know, again, it can also detect changes. So if somebody had pushed a cart perhaps in its way, it'll detect that and route around it seamlessly. Um, The idea is to get a robot that isn't 100% fully autonomous because robots just aren't there yet. So there's always going to be this human element, which of course plays into this narrative of, of robots not necessarily stealing all of our jobs and killing us because they don't need us anymore and turning us into batteries. I guess they'd have to, <laughs> they wouldn't kill us first. They would turn us into batteries and then then kill us. I don't know. In that Black Mirror episode, which features a spot lookalike, <laughs> there's a lot of killing. Okay, well, I'm not a futurist. Who knows what could happen? <laughs> but there's very much a human on the other end of this um, helping the robot get used to a, an environment. Interesting. Um when you're talking about the ways that Spot is going to be deployed in the real world uh, in your story, you also mention that uh, this marks a really unique point for labor. Um, tell us about what that's going to look like when people start actually incorporating robots alongside human workers. You hear this narrative, as we've been talking about, about robots stealing all of our jobs, and you know whether that's AI or, or physical machines like Spot, which is not the... Uh, narrative that I uh, subscribe to. I don't think Wired does either. I think we're looking at it more realistically in that robots are going to start doing parts of jobs. So the idea with Spot Mini, as we've talked about, isn't to have a fully autonomous, self-reliant machine, but it's always working in concert with human beings. And you're seeing sophisticated robots like Spot slowly come out into the the marketplace and humans are actually having to adapt to them as opposed to them just replacing human jobs entirely and you get this really interesting relationship developing between machines and people Um, it's that whole new burgeoning field of human robot interaction there's researchers actually trying to figure out how best to do this same thing with amazon went to an amazon warehouse not that long ago where they have people working with machines that are the little robots that are scuttling around delivering packages. They haven't replaced human workers, but they're supercharging the human workforce, at least in the near term, right? So there, there's a, going to be a day when the machines get good enough to replace a lot of human labor. But for the time being, Spot needs a lot of supervision. It's requiring kind of this rethinking of the way that humans go about work. So I have to ask, when you went to Boston Dynamics and you met the people that work there, there's a there's a guy who's in the YouTube videos who abuses Spot, <laughs> right? If you've seen the YouTube videos, he, like you said, he either attacks it with a hockey stick. There's some where he runs up and he kicks it as hard mm-hmm. as he can and, like, knocks it over. Did you get to meet that guy? No, he's been liquidated. He was the first <laughs> to go in the, in the robot <laughs> uprising. That makes so much sense. <laughs> no, I didn't get to meet him, um, but I met some very talented engineers. The great thing about visiting a place like Boston Robotics is it's just a bunch of nerds like me then we can nerd out about the really specific stuff about like when you put a certain payload on the back of a spot and it gets heavier how do you change the control algorithms like these are problems that they have to think about and that you know you as a consumer can't necessarily do with spot straight out of the box but he was not there I, I'm just going to assume he's still alive <laughs> working somewhere in Boston Dynamics 
Um, so besides Boston Dynamics, are there other companies that are doing similar type of work or companies that you think are um, interesting to give a little shine besides this one? Yeah, there's actually a, a company in Germany that makes this robot called Animal. It's A-N-Y-M. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah. Clever. It is a four-legged robot that actually moves a good deal like Spot. They actually released a video, I believe, last week. Well, they put roller skates on its feet um, as opposed to just kind of walking on, on four And it scoots around on roller skates quite adorably. Um, there is also, a, as far as two-legged robots are concerned, this platform called Cassie, which we have covered in the past. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a disembodied pair of ostrich legs, uh, mostly. They didn't, they, <laughs> didn't, they didn't look at ostriches and say that we should mimic that. They actually did the math and it, it worked out that to make a pair of robot legs in the most efficient manner, it turns out that they look like bird legs. Uh, they've actually been able to, at UC Berkeley across the bay here, they put those hover shoes, um, <laughs> which Ariel, you're familiar with, having fallen so. off of them in <laughs> one of our videos. Um, and they're, so, and like, not just to torture a robot to make it look silly wearing hover shoes, but to work on these, again, these control algorithms that are really complicated getting these robots to do things like stand up on two legs, much less scoot around on hover shoes, which they, the robot does so much better than any human I've ever seen on hover shoes. No offense yourself. None included. taken. None <laughs> taken. Well, Matt, you know, you're also our um, climate reporter. In addition to other things that you do here, you write a lot about the environment, what's happening with the environment. We just had the, the climate strike this last weekend, uh, Greta Thunberg uh, speaking to the UN. Uh, so we would be remiss if we had you in the studio and we did not ask you, what is going to kill us first, the rising oceans or the robots? Oh boy, it would definitely, if not rising oceans, extreme heat waves, supercharged storms, any number of climate-related disasters are coming for us far before robots will be. But good news, <laughs> the terrible news. We're not going to be ripped apart by bright yellow robot dogs no we are uh, going to die in the climate wars i mean i guess either way it's uh, our own doing like we created the robots we also created climate change we're not really good at long-term thinking as humans as a species but the robots could be used for disaster relief <laughs> they, could, they could grab our bodies and drag them away and use them as <laughs> dead batteries somehow well, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, and man. I, I hate to bring things. I feel like I bring things down every time I'm here, but I'm really not trying to. Well, thanks for coming anyway. And uh, are you going to stick around for recommendations? I am. I have a good one. Great. Let's take a break and then we'll let you kick it off. Visiting team hits first. Tell us, Matt, Simon, what is your recommendation? I'm going to recommend a YouTube channel and steal Ariel Stunner because I know she's doing a, a YouTube channel as well, but mine's better and more unlikely because it is called Townsend's. It is this guy in Indiana who recreates daily life in the 18th century. Yes. So what? he has like he has this compound where they do reenactments, not like the war stuff where like your civil war you shoot each other with like fake guns and stuff sure um they do every life so largely it's cooking so he does all these recipes that he's found from the 18th century he's built this kitchen modeled after an 18th century kitchen and they're like deep into it and they have this website with like all this goods that you could buy and they're very specific characters so there's like 
you can be a cook or you can be like a huntsman, but that's different from like a frontiersman and like the garb is just slightly different. It is so fascinating and he's so infectiously optimistic about it. It's just such a great retreat from technology, even though you are looking at it through technology, which is an interesting tension that he deals with as a YouTube <laughs> creator who is living in the 18th century. Super fascinating, highly recommend. Uh, Matt, you have made me watch this before and I can say it is very good. It's amazing. So what's it called? Townsend's? Townsend's. Yeah. Townsend's. It's it's largely cooking and, and the cooking itself is, is fascinating. But sometimes I'll do these tutorials like how did you wash clothes back in the 18th century? Which turned out to be like a three part video mm. that is fascinating. I'm not like <laughs> I'm not I'm not an, an enthusiastic person. I'm saying it is <laughs> fascinating. It's really interesting stuff because you throw stuff in a, a laundry machine now and it just magic happens. Yeah. Not so back then. <laughs> Ariel, what what is your uh, YouTube channel recommendation? Uh, my YouTube channel recommendation is called Big Marvel. It is incredibly surreal, but for different reasons than Matt's choice. Um, Big Marvel is uh, the the pseudonym of this YouTuber based in South Korea, who is best known for making covers of popular songs, um, but with a rubber chicken. <laughs> <laughs> so he sort of squeezes this rubber chicken and he has become like incredibly attuned to like just how to squeeze it to produce the exact pitch that sounds like a popular song you may know. The video that got me really into Big Marvel was his cover of Toto's Africa, which for some reason features a live chicken as well as the rubber chicken. It's very good. <laughs> It's really weird and amazing, but he does like popular songs around the world. He also has like some comedy videos. He has ASMR videos. Um, it's incredibly weird and funny and addicting and like a nice escape from anything that matters. Does he squeeze the live chicken as well to make it make sounds? He doesn't squeeze squeeze the live chicken. The Africa video is the only one I've seen that in involves a real chicken and it sort of just like wanders around. But um I've also like seen some of his videos appear to be live performances or performances on the street with a chicken and it's incredible. It's like, have you ever seen those people play water glasses where they have like a bunch of different glasses with different amounts of water yeah. in them and then they like yeah. run their finger along the rim and it creates a perfect pitch and you're like, that's magic. <laughs> that's like this guy with the chicken. So I, I've seen a couple of these videos and I'm like convinced that he is changing the pitch of the squeak in post-production so he's just like squeezing the chicken and then going back in and like correcting the pitch so that it sounds the the proper note but if you say that there's live performances on there too then maybe i'm dead wrong about that yeah i mean i think that that's a totally possible theory and it's also possible that the ones that appear to be done live are actually corrected in post anyway mm. but i just want to live in a world where i believe this guy is a prodigy in playing a rubber chicken can you give us uh, 2,500 uh, words about this guy by Friday? I would love nothing more. <laughs> 2,500 words or 100 words? <laughs> 2,500 words. Yeah. Assigned. Mike, what's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation is a show that I just finished watching last night. It's on Amazon Prime Video. So this is something else that Amazon put out that we're all interested in, or at least I am. It's a, it's a show. It's 
eight episodes long. Each episode is about 25 minutes and it's called Undone. And it's just totally fascinating and completely unlike anything that you've seen from a half hour, I guess it's a dramedy. Um, it's about a young woman who is maybe pushing 30 and she's living in um, San Antonio, Texas. And she has some family trauma in her past that she's trying to process. Uh, she's not doing a great job of processing it. And then she gets into a car accident. And at that point, uh, her life becomes very, very interesting. Do you ever feel like you're in a play? Except you're the only one that knows it's a play. And everyone else is just playing the role they think they're supposed to play because that's what you do. And you're like, hey, this is just a play. We don't have to do this. And maybe we shouldn't. What are you talking about? She starts actually processing her family trauma, but she does it in a way that is like, you're not really sure whether or not it's all happening in her head or you're not really sure whether or not she's experiencing it. But the thing about the show that makes it really unique is that it's rotoscoped. So it's animated. Like they shot the whole thing on, on video and then went back in afterwards and traced over the video images with like digital paint. So the characters look very lifelike, but they operate on screen like animated characters. Um, this allows them to do a lot of things where people jump from one place to another in an instant and make it look very like believable, but also very surreal. Um, it's uh, enormously creative. And I don't want to also, just by saying that it's visually striking, I don't want to downplay the writing at all because I think the writing is absolutely fantastic. So is the acting. Uh, it stars Rosa Salazar, who I've never seen before, but she's been on some other shows. Like um, she was on Parenthood and she was on American Horror Story. Uh, she's the lead in this and she's great. Bob Odenkirk plays her dad. Uh, so, you know, it has some familiar voices, I would say familiar faces, but really in the show, they're familiar voices to bring you into it. Um, it's only eight episodes and you can do the whole thing in under four hours. So I highly recommend it. Undone on Amazon Prime Video. Sounds weird. It's I'm very it. weird. I think you really like it. I'll check it out. Is it heavy? Sounds a little heavy. It is, but there's a lot of laughter in it. Hmm. But yes, it is heavy. There's there's some heavy stuff. Nothing wrong with that. I'm just curious if I should drink while watching it or not. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Um, tell people how they can find you on the Twitter. Yeah, you can find me on the Twitter, which I rarely use, uh, at Mr. Matt Simon. That's M-R. Matt, Matt Simon. Simon. Yeah. Ariel? I'm at Pardesoteric. I am at Snackfight. And, of course, you can reach all of us at Gadget Lab, which is the Twitter account for the show and for our section on Wired. Um, we would like to ask you to please tell a friend if you enjoyed the show so that they can check it out, too. Also, leave us a review wherever you have subscribed to the show. Uh, that not only lets us hear your feedback, which we love hearing, but it also helps other people who may want to hear the show find the show. So thank you in advance for doing that. And we will be back next week. Hi, everyone. Michael from Gadget Lab here. I want to tell you about our friends over at The Big Take Podcast from Bloomberg News. Each weekday, they bring you one important story from their global newsroom, like how AI will upend your life. 
or why China's targeting the U.S. dollar and maybe how Joe Biden plans to take on Donald Trump. Oh, boy. Check out The Big Take, a daily podcast from Bloomberg, wherever you listen.